Welcome, my friend, to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. And before we get into the show in today's episode, which I know you'll get a lot of value from because we're, we stay out of all the fluffy stuff and we get straight into the good stuff of real estate investing advice, I want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, and that's Patch of Land. Uh, they are making this show possible and they're making tons of flipping projects possible all across the country. If you don't know about Patch of Land, then they are the number one company to go to for uh, projects that you're flipping uh, because they have all the money available right now. Um, once you get approved for your your deal and yourself as a sponsor or a borrower, you're going to be funded by them. And then they go raise the money through their crowdfunding platform. So you don't have to worry about all that. They'll take care of the, the money and the funding for you. You just have to worry about making sure your project's a success. Uh, they've got something really cool for you. So um, if you are just learning about crowdfunding, uh, they've come up with a guide. It's called the Top 10 Crowdfunding Questions Guide. And they're all the, the questions that you might be asking yourself. And they're all the answers. They don't leave you hanging. They've got answers too. All the answers to those, those 10 crowdfunding questions. So you can go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Uh, and if you think you know everything about crowdfunding, I check this guide out just in case because there are some interesting aspects that you'll learn. So go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Best ever listeners, how you doing? My name's Joe Fairless and welcome to another episode of the best real estate investing advice ever show where it's cutting out all the fluff and we're getting straight to the good stuff. And today's guest on our show is Ken Corsini. Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Glad to have you. And a little bit about Ken. Ken is the founder of Georgia Residential Partners. He has over 10 years of full-time real estate investing experience. He's a smart guy. He's got his master's degree from Georgia Tech in residential development. And he also has a popular podcast called Deal Farm. So definitely go check that out too. He buys and sells an average of 100 deals a year in Atlanta, Georgia market. And he's got twins who are four years old. Uh, which is a little non-real estate related fact about him. Can you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. So I uh, actually graduated from the University of Georgia in 99 with a degree in risk management and did that for about five years for Marsha McLennan, which is a big insurance brokerage. And just you know, knew I wanted to get into real estate. So in 2005, I just quit my day job and jumped in with two feet first. And um and really, for the most part, I've been doing the turnkey operation here in Atlanta, which is you know where you take a distressed property, you stabilize it, you put a tenant in place, and then sell them to typically out-of-state investors. And that's been our primary business model. Here, just in the last two years, we've sort of transitioned a little bit of everything. We do the turnkey, we do wholesaling, we do just regular fix and flips. Uh, we're doing some new construction and a little bit of development now. So now we sort of ha have our hands in everything. Uh, but like you said, yeah, I've got about 10 years of full-time experience doing this. 
Oh, wow. So we have all sorts of topics to talk about. Before we get into all those different aspects of real estate that you're you're in right now, I want to ask a question about you going back to get your master's degree in real estate development. Why did you do that? And would you recommend others do that? You know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm glad that I did it. I mean, I don't regret it for one second. I went back and I graduated in 2009. So I'd actually been out of school, I think seven years when I went back to school to get my master's. And uh, it was 2007 at the time when I went went to Georgia Tech and enrolled in their in their graduate program. You know, real estate was crumbling around. You know, it was the economy was tanking. Even the business I was doing there, that first two years, I was really just doing assignments, which is a little bit different. And I saw these other guys in the real estate industry losing their shirt, and I was like, you know what? I mean, now is a good time to uh, to just further educate myself and have a few extra skills. And so. Part of my thinking was that I knew that when I came out of the program, I could be a licensed contractor as well. And so there were really two main reasons. One was just credibility, because in this business, I'm always dealing with investors and I wanted to have as much credibility as possible. But two, the practical side of going through this program was that I would come out and be able to be a licensed contractor. And so, and I, I le- honestly, I learned a ton. Most of my professors at Georgia Tech were actually guys in, in the business. So full-time builders, full-time real estate developers were sort of doing this as an advocation where they'd come and teach these classes at night. So it was really hands-on, real-world experience. Uh, so I learned a ton in that two-year program. Even, I, I even opted to do a thesis rather than take some additional classes and even that thesis was just a really good exercise in studying and researching and understanding real estate, especially Atlanta. So, yeah, when I came out, I mean, I was able to get my contractor's license, which now has served me well because we're doing new construction. I can pull permits. And then also, you know, here we are talking about it. So there's a level of credibility to just having a master's degree from Georgia Tech. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I imagine from a credibility standpoint, it's worth its weight in gold. And as far as timing, my gosh, that's perfect timing. You kind of like hunkered down in 2000. I imagine when did you graduate? 2009? Yes, it was a two year program. (laughs) I mean, it was perfect. Everything's kind of collapsing. It was funny because at that same time, I was actually formulating this whole turnkey model. And, uh, in the real estate, all of a sudden was on sale. I mean, it was so dirt cheap. And it's all the guys that were in the business that were in this space, they all lost their shirt and everybody kind of disappeared. And so all of a sudden there was no competition. I was able to pick up these houses for nothing. And, you know, a couple nights a week, I was driving down to Georgia Tech and, you know, working on a master's degree. Let's talk about you just graduated 2009 and you've got there's a ton of opportunity. I mean, I bought my first house in 2009, not because I was waiting for I I saw the crash coming, but just I didn't have any money until 2009. (laughs) So I was just very lucky. But 2009, you, you just graduated. How are you paying for these homes, even though they're dirt cheap? Where's the money coming from? Same place it's coming now for the most part. Granted, I get it cheaper now than I used to, but most of it's private money. So relationships with friends and family and, and, you know, some networking. I had a couple bank lines with some local, local banks that, you know, helped. And then, you know, wherever I couldn't fill those, I'd fill in those with the ones that I couldn't get from the bank with just private, private money. I might've even early on, I might've even used just some hard money. You know, of course, you know, as soon as you can find cheaper money, you're jumping on it. So, you know, over the last so many years, every year, I feel like my money costs have gone down because you're finding somebody that'll lend to you for cheaper. 
so your first deal, if you can remember back to your first deal, you just graduated. Because I remember getting financing in 2009. I was living in New York City. I was buying in Dallas. So it's a little bit different because you were local. But I, I just happened to come across the interest rate on that loan on traditional 30-year to me as an investor for my first investment. It was six point. I think nine something percent. So how did you finance your very first property out of school in 2009 whenever, you know, it's really tough to get financing? Well, okay. So let me take another step back. I actually left my full-time corporate job in 2005. So I'd actually been in real estate since 2005. And my, my first, my first two purchases, which were supposed to be buy and holds right out of the gates, in 2005, they were handing out loans like candy. It was crazy. I mean, they literally would check your pulse, and if you had one, they would give you a loan. And somehow, I and a friend were in our 20s, qualified for like a $400,000 loan, the worst purchase I've ever made, right out of the gates. 100% financing. I mean, this is conventional mortgage, 100% financing. You know, the, uh, the first was probably around seven, and then there was a second that was probably around like eleven. Just horrible financing, <laughs> but a hundred percent. I mean, it was it was crazy. And anyways, that house ended up being a disaster. Just bought it for all the wrong reasons. You know, it's funny because there's a common theme even with folks on our show how that first one or two deals a lot of times are the one that you get stung on. You just you don't know what the heck you're doing, and you make a big mistake. You lose some money, and then either you stay in the game or you get out of the game. One or the other. Luckily. I got stung and stayed in the game. Yeah, there you go. Well, yeah, luckily for everybody, or else we wouldn't have this interview, that's right? right? <laughs> I would not <laughs> or else this interview would have a different flavor too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, Ken, what happened? No. Exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about your what you're up to now. I mean, you said you're doing turnkey, which basically, as you mentioned earlier, you're buying a distressed property, you're fixing it up, you're stabilizing it, and you're selling it typically to out-of-state investors who want to cash flowing property. You're doing wholesaling, you're doing fix and flips, you're doing new construction development. Why so many things? Because you know, I've heard from some people that there's power and focus. So what are your thoughts on that and, and why are you doing so many different things? So there was a fundamental shift in really in the in the nationwide real estate market, but especially in Atlanta over the last two years, where Everything we bought up until about two years ago came off of our MLS or off of HUD Home Store. In fact, we owned HUD Home Store. I mean, we, we had all sorts of systems and proprietary software. And so we got all of our inventory and we sort of had a narrow focus of what we were buying. It was all coming off of MLS. Well, then the market really tightened up. The hedge funds came into Atlanta and bought up everything. I mean, the competition still on MLS is ridiculously fierce. And so we had to adapt and change and figure out, okay, if we're going to stay at this volume, what do we need to do to stay relevant? And so we had to figure out how to pick up off-market properties. And so now, you know, we look very different than we did even three years ago. We send out a lot of direct mail. We have signs up. There's a lot of different things we do to get off-market properties. But because of that, we get sort of a wider swatch of the types of properties that are coming to us. You know, I might get a $10,000 house that's in a really bad part of town, or I might get a $400,000 house in a really good part of town and everything in between. So, you know, our mantra is there's, there's no, there's really not a bad deal. I don't care where the house is. If it's uh, if there's money to be made, let's, let's figure out how to make money on it. And so you can, I almost consider it like Planko. You remember that game on the prices, right? Where you, you kind of oh, start yeah. at the top and the house sort of oh, yeah. falls through the, you know, it falls down the, the Planko board 
And wherever it fits in is what we do with it. So we analyze the house from a lot of different angles. Is this a house that would fit our turnkey model? Meaning that the rents are strong compared to our purchase price and whittle it appraise when we sell it to an investor. If it fits that model, great. Then we'll plug it in as a turnkey. Maybe it's more of a retail play. It's slightly higher end. The rents don't really make sense. There's some really strong comps and there's some money to be made on the retail side. So we'll plug that in as just like a fix and flip. But if it falls all the way through and doesn't really fit any of those models, then you know often we'll just end up wholesaling. It's not one that we need to keep. It's not one that we can plug into our system. But there's somebody else maybe in Atlanta, another investor out there that would be interested in it. And if we can mark it up five to $10,000 and not have to buy it, then it's a good wholesale deal for us. And then even, even we're doing some buy and hold ourselves right now. I'm trying to acquire a portfolio to keep myself. We've, I think, acquired 20 just this year just for my buy and hold portfolio. So same thing, I'm looking for really high cash flow. And so if there's super, super high cash flow, then those are the ones I just end up keeping myself. What are the benchmarks for going down that Plinko board of, okay, doesn't meet this criteria? What's the return that you're looking for? You know, first, I guess, for yourself, if you want to keep as a buy and hold versus if it continues down the Plinko board to turnkey, fix and flip, wholesale, et cetera. So for, we'll start with my, the buy and hold. I shoot for like a 14 cap myself and that's after I've bought it and fixed it. So in a lot of cases, that's me. Most of them kind of tend to be where I'm all in these houses for about 50,000 with about 800 in rent. That seems to be kind of the, the average that we're falling into, but we're shooting for about that 14 cap. And they got to be in an area of town that I want to be in. And, you know, it's got to be a property that I like that I don't feel like I'm going to have a lot of problems with down the road. So and then beyond that, if, if for turnkey, most of our turnkey properties at least the ones that seem to be to sell well right now to out-of-state investors are properties that we end up selling between, let's say, eighty and one hundred and thirty thousand, somewhere in that price point. So slightly better neighborhoods, and the rents have to be strong. So if I'm going to sell a house to an investor for a hundred thousand dollars, then I want the rent to be right around a thousand dollars a month. They're sort of looking for that one percent price to rent ratio. And so if we can make a house, and they like the newer vintage, it's got to have some curb appeal. You know, we have to be able to fix it up too and still make some money on it. So that's sort of the, the benchmark we're looking for an A property. We, you know, having done this, literally done probably 500 turnkey deals over the last so many years, I know what sells and what doesn't sell. So we're, we're sort of selective about, you know, what we buy and what we don't buy for turnkey. And then beyond that, and there is overlap. I don't want you to think there's not overlap because sometimes we'll, we'll pick a house up for turnkey and end up retailing it. You know, some owner-occupant will come to us and say, oh man, I really want that house. We'll just end up selling it to an owner-oc. That does happen occasionally, but most of our just straight retail fix and flips end up being a little bit more expensive. So maybe we're selling them for anywhere between 130, man, all the way up to 600. We've got a house right now we're going to probably retail for about 600. Most of them though are, you know, they're, they're second homes, you know, so people that are spending 150 to 250, that seems to be more common. And the thing is, you know, when you get up to that price point, if you're selling a house for 175, most of the time you're not going to get rents on that house that are going to be of interest to an investor. So, you know, it's kind of funny. It's not it's like the rents don't increase proportional with the price of a home. You know that that the house that $100,000 house that's getting 1,000 in rent. Now if you bump up to $175,000 house, 
you'll get a little bit of a bump. Maybe you'll be up at like 1200 a month, but all of a sudden for that investor, you know, that re- the return on investment really drops. So that those higher price point properties don't, don't really work from a turnkey perspective, but they retail really well. That's a, you know, that's a, probably around the, the median home price in Atlanta. So they, that really it works great from, from that standpoint, from a, you know, a retail standpoint. And right, right now, I mean, the market is really, really strong for sellers. There's not a lot of inventory. There's a lot of buyers that want entry-level housing. So the retail has been really strong for us these last couple of years. And then in terms of building, we're just looking for lots that make sense. You know, if we can buy in an area, you know, get the lot cheap enough and build a house and, you know, be at about 70% of the sales price. That's typically where we want to be for, for it to make sense for us. And actually, we'll do a little development too. Like we bought a five-acre property with one house on five acres here a couple months ago. And we actually were able to go in there and subdivide it up into four additional lots that we're going to build houses on. So, you know, minor subdivision, nothing crazy. We sold off the front house and now we're building four houses, you know, in the back of that lot. And so that's a way to create inventory for us, some lot inventory and have a really low cost basis, which I feel like we'll do pretty good with. When you buy that lot, how do you know that you can subdivide it and what's the process? Well, so in that case, I actually have a full-time builder on staff with me, a buddy of mine who's just a really good builder. And so if we get something under contract, he immediately, he's calling the surveyor, he's checking with the county, and there's usually some amount of due diligence for us to be able to figure out you know, if it makes sense or not. And honestly, most of the, the lots or the land we get under contract, we don't end up buying for one reason or, or another. Maybe it's in a flood zone or we can't put a septic tank or whatever reason, that we, we end up dropping a lot of them. So it does sort of have to fit a narrow criteria for it to work for us. How many people are on your team? The immediate team, I think 11. I think we're at 11 right now. And that does not include contractors. We've got about three crews that are basically full-time with us, but 11 like core team members that work out of the office. And who, what are their responsibilities, just high level? So I, I can run through them real quick. I'll just have to think about the offices, I guess. So I've got an office manager, answers the phone, does utilities, sort of a, a catch-all. I've got a general manager, same thing. He just sort of oversees the general operations of the business. There's just so many moving parts. I've got an acquisition girl who takes all the, she, all the initial phone calls that come in on like postcards and whatnot. So she's screening our, our, our potential acquisitions. We've got a broker. We actually have an in-house brokerage. So we've got the, the licensed entity as well as Georgia Residential Partners, which is unlicensed. So on the licensed piece, I've got a, a broker who she really handles most of our our retail fix and flips. So she's handling the contracts on that. I've got two agents that handle sales for us on the turnkey and on our wholesale side. So they're marketing our turnkey and wholesale properties and working with investors. I've got a full-time leasing agent because we're leasing a lot of these properties. So that's what she does. And she's just dedicated to our properties. I've got an agent who only works MLS and HUD I mean, occasionally we get lucky and pop something off of there, but she's making offers all day long. And then I've got the, the full-time builder that I mentioned. And then I have a field guy. He, so he's out looking at all these properties. He literally puts 200 miles on his car every day. He's out driving. And you know, if we, if we have a house we want to potentially put under contract, he's looking at it. He's taking pictures of it. He's writing it up for us. And then once we have a project underway, he's also sort of overseeing the crews and making sure that everything's moving forward appropriately. And then, like I said, we've got three 
rehab crews that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily consider them core team members or their subcontractors. Granted, they do come to the Christmas party, so I'm not sure if that counts. <laughs> uh, but What would you say? Oh, did you, were you going to mention something? No, I think that's it. I'm probably missing somebody, but that's close enough. <laughs> and if I didn't mention you, then uh, that doesn't mean I don't value you as a team that's member. Right. You want to throw fired. out that disclaimer real quick? Yeah. <laughs> if I didn't mention you, come to my office on Monday morning. I have to talk. <laughs> Well, no, you always fire people on Fridays, right? That's right. Yeah, not on Monday. You're right. It's good advice. (laughs) Ken, besides that advice, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? You know, having been in this business 10 years, I'll tell you the only reason we're where we are is because we've adapted. It seems like the business changes for me on a yearly basis. Some big shift in the marketplace you know, the, the economy is failing or they're changing how they do appraisals and the, all of a sudden the lending's changing and, or now hedge funds have moved in. They're gobbling up everything. It's just, I feel like every year there's some big challenge to overcome. And for us, the only way we've been able to continue to grow our business is that we've been small enough and nimble enough to adapt to the changes. So like, like I'd mentioned before, ML, all of a sudden we can't, we can't get inventory on MLS. If we, if we, continued to just try to do that, we would have completely failed. And so we quickly had to adapt and figure out how to acquire off-market properties. But staying relevant in real estate, because it's such a dynamic industry, is to me, it's the only way to, to maintain a business in this industry. And one quick follow-up question on that. What is the best way to identify where you should pivot to whenever things are happening? You know, I'll tell you what, in my case, I joined a real estate mastermind two years ago with some really high level guys that it was a godsend for me because in that mastermind, I'm rubbing shoulders and networking with other guys who are already making those types of pivots. And I don't know if I, if I hadn't, if I would have had the confidence to know which direction to go in. And so for me, it was really, it was looking to other guys in the industry to see what they're doing. And it happened to be through a, a real estate mastermind. But, you know, for, for somebody else, it might be just going to your local, you know, real estate investors association and networking with those guys and talking with them. What are you seeing? What are you doing? And figure out what other, what, what other folks are doing to stay relevant. And some best ever listeners might be wondering, did you pay for that mastermind? And if so, what, what were the costs? Yeah, yeah the mastermind's not cheap. Right now, it's a $20,000 a year mastermind, which I know seems like a ton, but I'll be honest. I mean, I've done enough deals with guys in the group that, I mean, you do one good deal, it pays for itself. And I'm doing all sorts of business and, and dealings with other folks in the, in, the, in the group. I mean, really one good tip, I mean, one good strategy could easily pay for itself. So, I mean, I know it sounds like a lot, but for me, it's been an incredible return on investment. Was it a mastermind with just Atlanta people? No, it's a it's a nationwide mastermind. Bunch of um, there's a lot of heavy hitters in there. I mean, I've been really lucky to be a part of the group. It's uh, I mean, you may All have right. heard it. it's called the Collective Genius. It's um, Jason Medley runs the group, but there's a uh, yeah, there's a lot of folks in there that you probably heard of. Huh? I haven't come across that mastermind yet. Interesting. I'll I'll check it out. Yeah. All right. Well, you ready for the best ever lightning round? I guess so. Well, I guess we're gonna Let's do, do it then. <laughs> First, let's hear from our best ever partners. Crowdfunding, you've heard about it. Now it's time for you to learn about it. 
Our best ever sponsor today, Patch of Land, they're the leading expert in the crowdfunding space, and they've got all the answers to all of your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D.com forward slash best ever. All right, best ever book you've read? Ooh, The One Thing. I just finished reading it. Gary Keller. Yeah, and Jay Papazon. Yeah. He's been on the show as well. Oh, fantastic book. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? Ooh, my wife and I went on a, uh, a marriage retreat about 10 years ago in California at the JH Ranch that was just phenomenal. I mean, to me, that's the most important relationship you have is the one with your spouse and to make sure that that's solid and that you, you know, you're emotionally intelligent about how you go about it. And uh, it really set us off on the right track. What's the best ever deal you've done? Oh, man. Uh, I bought a boat storage, uh, RV and boat storage property with an SBA loan. Bought it two years ago and actually have it under contract to sell right now. We'll make about a million dollars on it. Best ever project you're most excited about? I'm actually really excited about this project. It's right. It's a mile from my house. This is that five acres that we're, we're developing into four houses. It's not necessarily a huge project, but I'm excited about it. We're doing some really cool farmhouse type properties that are unique to the area. And I think they'll make us a lot of money too. I'm just excited about doing it. What's the best ever way you like to give back? How do I like to give back? Well, I give, I give through a number of different organizations. I give through my church. I give to local organizations that minister to inner city kids. And I have a handful of friends who are missionaries overseas that are ministering in like red light districts. And yeah, there's a lot of different ways that, you know, friends and, and family members that are involved in different ministries that we like to give back to. What's the best ever quote? I think it's the golden rule to uh, love others as you love yourself. What would you say is the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? Oh, that's an easy one. First house I ever bought. So what I told you about, it was a mistake for two reasons. One, I bought it with a friend and uh, not knowing anything about real estate, I dragged him into the mess. And I bought it because there was a tenant, not because there was equity. It was just, I bought it for all the wrong reasons. I paid way too much for it. And I definitely got my education on my very first house. What would you say is the best place that the best ever listeners can reach you? They can reach me. My email address is very easy, Ken at GA Investing, but they can also go through our website, which is dealfarm.net, and those come directly to me. All right. Well, Ken, this has been a wonderful conversation, and I've got some takeaways that uh, really stand out. You know, I was taking notes the entire time you are talking one of them is, I actually wrote this down before you mentioned it as your best ever advice, so it, it, it's funny. I wrote down adapting to opportunities. That's that's really the theme here. And then you used it as your advice. I was like, oh, there we go. I just bold. I made it bold once you said uh, that. Great. I was like, it, it really is. Yeah. I mean, your your business is all about being nimble and adapting, knowing what's going on by surrounding yourself with, with people who are achieving and doing more and you know for best ever listeners if you don't have you know money to go into a mastermind then keep doing this keep having listening to conversations with successful investors that's one of the reasons why i do this because it gives access to people like you ken who are rocking and rolling and you know sharing your insight to others and kind of having your own mastermind through through this podcast but in addition to podcasts like this i do recommend getting into some sort of mastermind or having somebody that you can bounce ideas off of who is uh, successfully doing what you want to be doing 
um, at that level or what you're currently doing. So that's number one. That's one of the takeaways. The second takeaway is how you walked us through your team, your team of 11 members and you know everything from the office manager to the rehab crews uh, and what their responsibilities are. I think that's really interesting, getting a glimpse into how your operation is run and who does what and um, the different responsibilities everybody has. That's it, it, really interesting. And and then also, you know, just the, the types of, of deals that you're working on and how you qualify those deals and, you know, the different types of profits that you look for each of them um, and kind of what that Plinko board, as you described it, looks like and, you know, where what you use as your as your filter for taking it from one level to the next with the different opportunities so just a a wonderful conversation thank you so much and everybody go check out dealfarm.net and go listen to this podcast and ken thank you so much for being on the show we'll talk to you soon yeah thanks so much i enjoyed it